your greetings for the new year of 2021. And I am Dr. Sandra Talby, the lead pastor of Connection Church. And this is our first inaugural time of bringing our messages, biblical messages that we want to bring for you uh, weekly. We're beginning a series, uh, and I will preach today and next week, and uh, John and maybe others from the core team will preach over the weeks to come. And you'll get to experience a variety of preaching styles, but we want to invite you and uh, to encourage you to look forward to this time that we want to share with you. 20, 25 minutes or so, weekly. We want to encourage you, but also speak to kind of what's going on out there in, in the world today. So today we begin the series of SBNR. SBNR. And uh, let me begin by just opening up the word. Listen to the word of God for the back of my message. And this comes from Acts 17, verses 16 to 23. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. May God bless the reading of his holy word. And so 
whether we acknowledge it or not, we are religious and we seek after God. Religious by definition, although it can mean superstitious, religious really is humankind's dutiful search in response to God. In fact, philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of each one of us that we try to fill with created things. And this God-shaped vacuum itself can show itself as an emptiness, which is unable to be satisfied, a longing to feel whole. It, it can also manifest as a desire to find meaning and purpose. Have, have you ever listened to people or have you ever said yourself, you know, I, I, just, I, I just don't have a sense of, you know, what my purpose is. That's how this God vacuum can, can show itself. I remember the time when I uh, certainly went through that. Actually, for me, it was at age 16, and I read John Paul Sartre's uh, one-act play, and the book was entitled No Exit. And uh, Sartre, if you've read that, he comes to the conclusion that uh, we are really uh, deceived as we try to figure out reality, and we look at the expectations that people have for us, and we try to figure out who we are, and he says we are, in, uh, in essence, unable to, uh, to come to any kind of uh, conclusion, and he says, and so there's, there's no exit from this kind of self-deception. I remember that that depressed me terribly as a teenager, and I, I know that that is when I began my search. I didn't figure it out until many, many years later in my 30s. But, but that God vacuum is there. It's there in each one of us if we only have the eyes to see. Well, the story behind this text that I read to you, it, it follows the same storyline. The God-shaped vacuum was there in the hearts of those Athenians, and, and that they were there uh, at this Arabicus, this place where uh, Socrates and uh, Euripides and all of the great, great teachers over the centuries had taught. They would engage people uh, as to how to think uh, about life and virtue and ethics. And so Paul is here in this great place called the Areopagus, and he helps these Athenians who are there begin to think about uh, this God void. And in his own rhetorical style, and in fact he even makes use of the Socratic style, the text opens up with us looking in on this Areopagus. These people gathered there, the center of philosophy in Athens. Now it is the year probably 50 AD, 17 years after Jesus was crucified, 
and had risen from the grave. And Paul the Apostle arrives on the scene after traveling about 320 miles on his evangelistic trek across Greece. He had started in Thessalonica, which is north, and he moved on south to Berea. And now he has come down to Athens. At each stop along the way, he spends time, the Bible says, reasoning. And his style is he, he actually makes a point and then he engages uh, with questions so that there, there is a, uh, uh, an opportunity for people to dispute and to offer their own responses. And so he's, he's going back and forth. And it gets pretty heated. And so some of the people are there from the Epicurean school. And, and these Epicureans, they believed in multiple gods. Others are there from the school of the Stoics. And they believe that the ultimate principle of the universe was matter. Not anything to do with the soul, but matter. So Paul is introducing to them this truth of the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, which they had never heard before. And Paul typically gathered groups of Jews and God-fearing people. And, and these God-fearing people, uh, Paul would use them as a springboard to reach Gentiles. Again, the Gentiles are everybody else outside of the Jewish tradition. He made use of these God-fearing people because they were less under the control of rabbis. So they were uh, less tied to tradition and the uh, commandments, but more in terms of uh, being open uh, to new ideas and experiencing truth. So Paul gains an entrance uh, into these groups and he gets an attentive audience. As a result, what, what happened was some put their faith in Jesus. That, that's what happened. Others, however, boiled and erupted to an uproar. Well, one of the main points that caught their attention was when Paul told the Athenians, and this really comes from verse 22 and 23, when Paul said, I, I see that in every way you are religious. As I walked around, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And they were experiencing and feeling what Blaise Pascal says, about that God vacuum within our hearts. The problem was that the Athenians sought to worship what they did not know, and they were unable to define. And, and so the bottom of one of their idols, one of their statues, actually said to the unknown God. They, they couldn't name him. And you see, the tradition is that they were afraid of offending some of the gods lest they forget and left someone out. So they, they even added more idols and statues to cover those that they made 
have left out. And so that's quite cumbersome, isn't it? Well, the problem for today is that people are also religious, but would rather say it in a different way. What they say is, and you, you know this, they, they say, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I think the point is to keep their search for God separate from organized religion and religious practice in a church. And I can understand why many would want to do this. Why? Because some churches have wounded people in their search for God. Why? Because they don't line up with the way that seekers are expected to be, maybe. Or maybe it's because seekers look differently on the outside, maybe tattoos, maybe the way they dress. Or because of their sexual orientation or because they have raised doubts and questions that ruffle the feathers of the status quo. So these seekers are overlooked or dismissed. And I want to say to you as a disclaimer, we try our best not to do that at Connections Church. We, we really welcome all people. We want to hear your questions and even the doubts. And we will be starting this Alpha series uh, real soon where you can come and do just that. Well, the fact is that some grapple today in a like manner as they did back there in Athens with the issue of belief and the issue of uh, identifying and making God known. For some, the struggle today is tied more to how the church responds to the marginalized. You know, I've heard people say, how can the church profess to love our neighbor, but they look the other way when it's inconvenient or difficult? Well, because someone is gay. We may not have the level of uproar as it was in Paul's day, but the polarity is the same as it was then. Today, many do not spend time reasoning or debating. They simply withdraw. And some have counted God as irrelevant to their personal life. And still, there are some others, I've heard them, who believe in many gods, and others believe in no god. Rather, what they do, and you know this, you may be one of those who does this, they turn to an energy, that's the best I can figure it out, from the universe to which they open up questions about life or decisions they have to make. And they'll say, oh, I just, I just asked the universe. Or you might believe that Jesus exists while seeing no contradiction and also believing in karma, for instance. The hinge point here, as it was in Athens, is 
that this version of God is unknown. And it's impersonal to your life and mine. And friends, the, the reality is creator God wants us to know him. Yes, he does. So I, I submit to you that there are probably four different uh, experiences uh, today that we go through uh, as we are on this journey. Unlike the philosophers and Paul say, the difference today is that people do not want to discuss it. And so they are, they're closed and just turned off to any notion of a personal God. Preferring rather to say, as I said earlier, I am spiritual, but not religious. My beliefs are private. Is, is that where you are? Is that how you would describe where, where you are today? And, you know, again, I can understand why one might say this. But the truth is that we all have this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, that God, he actually places it there for each one of us. And whether we acknowledge or not, we hunger to find him. In fact, St. Augustine says it this way. He says, our hearts cannot find rest until we find rest in God. Another difference for today is that many of the symbols which represent the Christian faith have been stripped away from the culture. Symbols like the cross. You know, you used to be able to see a cross on a hillside while driving up the freeway or a highway. But now many have been removed because of the same trend toward privatization and the sense that people's rights have been infringed upon when they see a, a cross posted on public land. Third, we see because of this stripping away of the cross as a Christian symbol within culture, if we were to have, just follow me now, if we were to have atheism on one side of the spectrum and belief in Jesus at the other side of the spectrum, then the way culture used to be that people who were unbelieving would tend to move toward belief in Christ because there were many symbols in the culture, many, many things that were church. Church had meaning in the old days. And, uh, and so people would be more inclined to lean toward belief in Christ. But now with that stripping away of the cross as a Christian symbol within our culture, people do not feel that kind of cultural pressure to, to move toward belief. And so it becomes for some easier to remain in what 
James Emery White calls the squishy middle. The squishy middle. The last thing I want to say about today, the difference today is, is that the cross for many is now relegated to a piece of jewelry worn either around the neck or inked on their body as a tattoo. And I have to admit, it, it looks nice. I, I, I actually, I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get one, that, that's what I would get. But it would have meaning for me. But mostly it has no meaning to people today. I mean, that's, that's what I, I want you to hear. Case in point, I, I recently noticed the wrist of a young uh, woman who served me as I picked up my uh, curbside takeout for food uh, not too long ago. And I noticed uh, her wrist between her, her hand and, and her actual wrist bone. There was a cross prominently placed on the outer edge between her hand and the wrist joint. And it was black, of course, very simple, like the rugged cross. And knowing how the cross has lost its meaning within our culture, I, I was afraid you know, inside, but I, but I asked her, does the cross on your wrist have any meaning for you? And I could tell she looked a little annoyed and she twisted her mouth and her nose and she said, no, it's just a cross. And I was saddened to hear her say that, but I realized this is where we are today. Well, we're going to continue on in this text in, uh, in the book of Acts, but I, but I want you to know the section that we're dealing with today, I want you to hear if you've heard me say nothing else in this message. The Apostle Paul is saying, essentially, the cross still has meaning. That's why he preached to the Athenians, and he, and he speaks to us today about the good news and the good news is that the cross upon which Jesus was crucified is now empty. Why? Because he was raised and he returned to heaven where he now sits interceding and praying for us. And the empty cross, you see, when we understand what it means, the empty cross has power and meaning because it tells the story of a God who lives. So I'm going to stop there, and next week we will continue with our text to discover how the writer Paul helps us name this God whom the Athenians labeled as the unknown God.
would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly God, our Father, our Lord, and our Savior, I know that you you know us, you know us all too well. And you are as close to us as a mother is to her baby's breath. You know, there are those, Lord, who listen and who, some who struggle, and they really want to know who this unknown God is. There are others who are apathetic because they've been wounded and hurt by church and fundamentalism and hypocrisy and judgment and there are others still who are just maybe on a search but haven't found quite what it is they're looking for. I just pray that through this message today and the messages to come that you will speak to us that you will take us on that journey from the secular to the sacred, to knowing and finding you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be encouraged. See you again next week. Bye-bye.